Good morning and welcome to PepsiCo's 2021 fourth quarter earnings question and answer session. Your lines have been placed on listen only until it's your turn to ask a question. In order to make in order to ask a question and make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchdown telephone. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Ravi Pamnani, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Pamnani, you may begin. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. I hope, I hope everyone has had a chance this morning to review our press release and prepared remarks, both of which are available on our website. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. We may make forward-looking statements on today's call, including about our business plans, 2022 guidance, and long-term financial targets, and the potential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties and only reflect our view as of today, February 10, 2022, and we are under no obligation to update. When discussing our results, we refer to non-GAAP measures, which exclude certain items from reported results. Please refer to our fourth quarter and full year 2021 earnings release and 2021 Form 10-K, available on PepsiCo.com for definitions and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures and additional information regarding our results, including a discussion of factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from forward-looking statements. Joining me today are PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuarta, and PepsiCo's Vice Chairman and CFO, Hugh Johnston. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question. And with that, I will turn it over to the operator for the first question. Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question and make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. Our first question comes from Dara Mosadian with Morgan Stanley. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning, Dara. So I I wanted to focus on on the 2022 top-line guidance, obviously very strong Q4 results. um, But, look, you're guiding towards the higher end of of the long-term range in terms of 6% organic sales growth in 2022, despite a really tough comparison if we look at, at 2021. So I just wanted to understand the key drivers for 2022 top line uh, particularly price mix versus volume and any thoughts on demand elasticity. And then also just from a broader long-term perspective, as you look out beyond 2022, are you more confident your strategies are sustainably paying off? Could top-line growth be more at the higher end of that mid-single-digit long-term top-line range? How do you think about the long-term beyond 2022, um, given what's expected to be pretty robust growth despite the tough comp? Thanks. Yeah, there. Let me uh, start, and maybe you can add. Um, the, the, uh, I, we see our categories very healthy moving into um, 22 and, and long term. Both are you know, convenient foods and and beverages, so uh, that makes us feel very comfortable. The um, the uh, investments that we have made over the last three years in brands, in in more capable go to market systems, in in more insights, uh, better execution. That's clearly paying off in the form of share of market gains in across you know, multiple developed developing markets, uh, snacks and, and beverages. So we, we feel good about our ability to continue to grow ahead of our categories uh, in in 22 and, and beyond. And you know, and obviously we are big players in those categories. So we carry the responsibility to make this category 
stay healthy and stay, um, you know, growing faster than food overall. So that's how we see our our, our long term. Um, and, and yes, we, we um, obviously, if you think about next year, yes, we're at the top end of our long term guidance. This year, obviously, we cross. I mean, last year we obviously crossed that long term guidance. So if you see compounded, yes, we are we're at the high end of our of our um, you know four to six percent, and obviously we. That's the objective of the whole organization to stay within the, um, you know, that that guidance and meet it in, in good years. Yeah, and the only thing I'll add there in, in terms of some of the financial pieces of it, you saw in Q4 we we had about five points of volume and about seven points of of price mix. Uh, obviously, we're we're as we our hedges roll off and we move into a, a new round of commodities, uh, we're we're going to price in a way that allows us, at least for the full year, to try to keep our, our margins pretty well intact, which means that that seven pricing will probably be you know, around there, maybe even a little bit stronger for the year. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out and, uh, and, and react to what happens with the facts in the marketplace, but I, it's going to be a pretty healthy pricing year to, to accommodate the, the cost increases. And if I can follow up, or what are you assuming in terms of demand elasticity and what's been the experience so far you've seen in terms of consumer demand elasticity to pricing? Uh, it seemed like there clearly wasn't a lot in Q4, but uh, what are you assuming for 2022? Thanks. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, for 22, Dara, you're right. Obviously, there wasn't a lot in Q4, but that's a, a relatively short period of time. Um, right now, we, we've built multiple scenarios around elasticity, and we're, we have plans to react to, uh, to any of them. So, uh, frankly, we'll, we're going to have to be very agile this year in the way that we, we plan, but you know that our, our history on guidance is uh, we tend to have multiple ways to get there, and we'll react to what the, what the marketplace gives us. Thanks. I think, I think there, if, you, if you think about all the investments we've made in the last few years, both in the brand strength or some of our net revenue uh, capabilities, uh, even our execution capabilities, the granularity that we can execute in the stores, um, that's clearly giving us a, a lot of, uh, I would say, um, tools to um, to play the um, the marketplace and to manage the uh, price increases in, in better ways than we used to do it in the past. So. We're also contemplating that as a factor as we're as we're building our 22 uh, scenarios. Great, that's helpful. Thanks. Our next question comes from Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. All right, thank you. Good morning. I actually had a um, a question on your A&M spend in the quarter. I guess on a, a dollar basis, it, it seemed to have almost doubled in the quarter versus Q3, and then. Came in at maybe a record as a percentage of sales at almost eight percent in the quarter versus your typical call it I don't know six and a half percent. So I just was hoping you guys could give us a little more color on where you know you stepped up the spending in the quarter and then how much you think that did contribute to your robust top line growth in Q4. And then you know in thinking about it, typically there is a lag with spending. So I'm also wondering if this is partly what you expect to drive your top-line guidance at the high end of your long-term growth, how go. Yeah, hi, Bonnie, it's you. Um, a couple things on that. One, A&M for the year was up 11. Uh, for the quarter, it was up 15%. Uh, 
but re- remember, when you're dealing with the quarter, that's not necessarily what's in the marketplace. That's sort of you know the, the A&M curve, and we book A&M on on the on the revenue curve. Uh, it, in terms of spend, it, spend was up in the quarter for sure. I don't know that it was uh, disproportionately up relative to the rest of the year. Uh, and, and in terms of go forward, I, you know, I, I, I expect our A&M, as, as it generally has, will probably be in or around the same level of, of growth as, as the sales growth number is. Um, obviously, we, we feel terrific about the advertising we're doing. We think it's, a, it's having the right impact. Um, but we, we clearly were uh, the beneficiaries of, uh, in North America, some reduction, uh, and, and we think that's also played well. Uh, we, we generally are spending at a competitive level, and we're trying to compete on, on quality of, of the A&M, not, not necessarily the quantity of the A&M. Yeah, Bonnie, okay. one of the things we're, we're, I think we're getting better at is um, measuring our return on investment on our marketing uh, and we're, you know, the more data we have, and obviously we're we're becoming a better data company. Uh, we're 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 able to put better numbers to uh, to those uh, investments, and, and have the marketing teams and the commercial teams overall choosing different levers that give us the best return overall. And that that's playing very well. It's obviously one of the reasons why we're getting market share across many categories. Uh, it's strategically, we want to continue with this kind of. Uh, uh, investments uh, being very rational in the way we invest A&M, but understanding that a company like ours, uh, you know, the current competence is building brands, and, and that's what gives us in situations like we're having this year where we have to price, we have consumers following us in spite of uh, higher prices. So I think statistically it's, it's, a, it's a very important uh, element in our, in our overall uh, growth strategy. Okay. Helpful. Seems to be working. Thank you. Our next question comes from Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Great, thanks. Good morning. Um, wanted to just talk about PBNA um, volumes because you know accelerated sequentially and on a two-year basis, and now putting up growth on growth. And I was just curious, you know, how you might kind of bucket the the drivers of that. And I'm going to guess part of it you're going to say, oh, it's a little bit of everything, but. Um, you know, zeros have been in the market, I think, arguably all year. Um, you know, I thought maybe there's something to be said for the reorganization um, of the markets, and that may be starting to click in in a different way. So I was just curious on any perspective on the accelerating trends in PBNA. Um, that, that would be great. Thanks. Yeah. Listen, uh, um, Lauren, uh, the, um, I would say if you take the bigger picture, I think uh, – there is a, a elevated in-home consumption that has stayed like that. Um, I think home as a hub is a clear trend, and we're seeing we're capturing pretty good that consumption at home. And obviously, during the quarter, uh, you know, there's been more mobility across the um, you know the multiple markets in the U.S. Obviously, uh, but uh, you know, globally, I would say. And then uh, some of the away from home business has, um, you know, has accelerated as well. So what you see there is a combination of all these channels. I think playing at a very high level. Uh, you know, if, then if you if you go into our own business, um, I would say it's a combination of branding, better execution, and the truth is that in Q4 we've seen an improvement sequentially of our supply chain, and some of our large brands. Uh, and I would name Gatorade, for example, 
uh, clearly has uh, improved uh, substantially in its running rates and fill rates in the last part of the quarter. So that's reflected as well in a better, um, you know, overall performance for the business. But we're very pleased in general with the way the North America business is performing in beverages and snacks as well. Uh, and, and both the uh, margin expansion, the top line, the fact that it grew with the, um, with the market a bit faster than the market in a, in a very challenging year with, with a lot of supply chain complexities and, 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 and bottlenecks for, for, for several reasons. So, um, we're, we're very pleased. Um, we're we're, we're uh, feeling com- comfortable as well for uh, 22. There's very strong commercial programs, very strong brand programs, and, and as you were saying, probably a better execution machine for many reasons, data and intelligence, but also more empowered organization that makes more local decisions, and that's obviously uh, reflected in, in, the, in the performance of the business. Thank you. Our next question comes from Andrew Teixeira with J.P. Morgan. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I have a question on on sports drinks and then a clarification on the pricing. First on on Gatorade, uh, it was a brand that obviously was uh, pressured uh, in 2021 from supply chain challenges and competition. And as you go into 22, can you talk about the supply dynamics there and inventory for the brand? Um, And then... On the pricing, I think embedded in your guidance, I understand that it's assuming only the pricing that is already in the market, and therefore I wanted to see if we can bridge from Hughes' comments and seeing the visibility of the gross margin curve potentially recovered by the end of the year and, and, and potentially being up year over year for the full year. Thank you. Yeah, Andrea, uh, let me um, talk to you about the Gatorade, and then Hugh can talk more about the uh, pricing. Uh, we, we are um, we're very optimistic with this sports um, drinks category, but you know we, we think a bit broadly than just hydration. We think about overall nutrition and and the way Gatorade is playing that space along with some other brands like Propel, Muscle Milk, Evolved, and some other some other assets that we have in that space. It is growing very fast. We see continued uh, consumer. Uh, adoption of this category, consumers are exercising more, and uh, we think that's a very positive trend for for the um, for the segment. When it comes to Gatorade, the brand equity is stronger than ever. You know, so and 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 the innovation that we've done this year, and you will see more next year, be it zero, be it uh, Gatorade, be it some of the more science related with the sweat pads and how we can be much more customized for the. Um, for the consumer based on their hydration profile. So there's there's a lot of uh, positive value that I think we can create in higher in higher uh, parts of the uh, of the category with Gatorade and some of the other brands. So we feel good about the demand momentum on the uh, supply. Obviously, you know we have reacted to the situation and we've expanded capacity uh, both ourselves and some of our co-packers, and we're ready for a. Uh, for what we think will be another year of successful growth for Gatorade and continue to build the brand in, in spaces that uh, will be hard to match by competitors. So that's how we are approaching uh, Gatorade and the full the full category next year. Yeah, and I'll, Andrea, how are you? I'll, uh, I'll expand on the uh, your question on the other side. Yeah, our, our, our assumptions on the guidance are based on the, the pricing that we have in the marketplace right now. Uh, and that pricing is based on the visibility that, that we have into uh, both the productivity and the cost structure uh, and, and commodities, which we have pretty good visibility into on, on the commodities. 
about eight, nine months of the year, as, as you would expect, based on, on some of the things I've communicated in the past. Uh, Q4 is a bit, you know, still a bit open, uh, but there are obviously pricing windows as, as we get into the fourth quarter as well. So as those facts become more known, we'll make decisions on that front. Uh, regarding your question on margins, obviously we, we don't give uh, guidance on margins, but I think given the combination of what we know about costs and what we know about pricing, we ought to be able to get through the year pretty well intact on margins, uh, acknowledging the fact that earlier in the year the cost pressure is a little bit higher than, than it is later in the year. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian Splang with Bank of America. Hey, uh, good morning. Um, just, just two, maybe just two follow-ups. Uh, one is, is just, uh, Hugh, your, your answer, response to Andrea's question. Um, when you're saying margins, are you talking about EBIT margins or gross margins? Both, actually. Okay, okay. And, and then, um, you know, my question is about just the, uh, you know, share repurchases coming back in this year. Um, Hugh, can you talk a little bit about where we stand now in terms of cash return to shareholders? I think part of the motivation to maybe pull back on repurchases at the beginning of 21 was, uh, you know, your capex is going to be elevated for a while, and I know you're watching the leverage, or the um, you know, the credit rating. So, you know, is this just a now you're, there's more comfort with being able to to return more cash to shareholders, or is it a change in capex outlook? Just just trying to understand if we can, you know, how you're thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, we obviously we we made the decision not just based on what we we see this year, but what we see over the next couple of years. Um, number one, we really had a pretty good year on on cash generation last year, which gave us uh, a little bit of extra room. Uh, in addition to that, obviously, we had the the Tropicana transaction, which which bought us some some room as well, and and we just uh, really closed that over the course of the last week or so. Um, so the combination of those two factors led us to the decision. I, as I mentioned last year, uh, CapEx will be elevated for uh, for another year or two, but uh, frankly, I, I think that's well within the the, the sort of overall uh, envelope that that we're working on, and and we got comfortable with uh, with going back to share or purchase. And obviously, it's it, it's a, a one of the levers we use to uh, to help drive uh, drive. Uh, Company performance and shareholder uh, shareholder returns. Thank you. Our next question comes from Laurent Grandet with Guggenheim. Hey, good morning, Ramon. You um, well. I, I do. I'd like to focus this morning on on the energy platform. So it has been almost two years since the acquisition of Rockstar that unlocked the energy platform. An advantage PepsiCo has over your competitor uh, that is limited because of its contract with Monster. So, could you please update us on where you are seeing your where you're heading? Um, because the beginning has not been a, uh, has been a bit more challenged than expected with the difficulty with bank management, Mountain Dew rise name change, and Rockstar taking a bit more time to stabilize. So, at least a high growth, high profitability. Uh, segment of the of the business, it has an impact on PPN and the rest of the business. So could you please uh, update us on what you are seeing and where, where you are heading? Thanks. Thank you, Laura. Uh, good to talk to you. Listen, uh, I, I, we're executing the playbook as we as we told you. Uh, we've been quite consistent on um, the last few calls. And um, um, I, we're quite pleased with the, uh, what we're seeing. Um, obviously, Rockstar, we always said it was the most complex uh, 
transformation. We're repositioning the brand. We changed packaging. We're seeing growth in Rockstar, both in the uh, areas where it's more developed, areas of the country where it's more developed, and, and, and new areas, obviously, where uh, the distribution system is, is making a difference. We're seeing especially very good performance in, in, in new innovation segments like you no know, sugar and, and some more uh, uh, Hispanic-focused innovation. So we're, we're hopeful on, on Rockstar, and we're seeing you know, the metrics that we set for ourselves are, 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 are you know, are becoming reality. Then on, on Mountain Dew Energy, you know, we have this legal situation, which we move very quickly, super agile, actually. The teams uh, did a great job turning that in, in six weeks. And it's in the market, and it's gone back to the platform exactly where it was. So clearly there is a, a consumer that likes the product, and is you know, we're ready to now invest, um, obviously, this year in building that platform, uh, on a, you know, under the Mountain Dew um, Energy uh, branding, and that that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, position, even even though we had that legal uh, situation with with Bank, um, which was the other uh, part of the uh, of the um, uh, strategy. We, you know, after that initial hiccup, I think we're we're Actually, we're doing a pretty good job as a distributor of the brand, and the brand is, uh, you know, more points of sale than it used to be, and we continue to focus on driving that, that performance, you know, during the length of the, uh, of the contract. And then, but the other one that we're very pleased is the Starbucks relationship. That is, you know, that JV relationship is better than ever, I would say, and both double shot, triple shot is growing at a very high levels. And I don't know if you're aware, we just launched Baya, Baya Energy, which is a, a full natural energy brand, new brand to the system. It's, it's the first time we launch it both in retail and in Starbucks outlets. Um, great product, um, you know, um, good, good levels of caffeine coming from natural source. We're very optimistic on that platform. It's very incremental if you see the full portfolio of brands that we have on energy. So Baya will be... A, a, a positive uh, addition incremental. So I think the uh, the machine is firing in in, in a lot of cylinders. It, it's, it's always you know it, uh, um, it, it is a um, um, an area of focus. You need to uh, test and learn, and um, you know and, and and adjust and tweak your your execution. Uh, I'm pleased with what I'm seeing. The other element that we don't talk so much about Rockstar is that. This year is going to be in 17 international markets. You know, it was, it was in 10 markets. We expanded uh, in 21 to, uh, I think it was 22, 23 markets. Now next year, uh, this year 22 will be in 70 markets. So clearly another part of the growth story of Rockstar um, as we, uh, as we acquire the business. So, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll keep updating you. Um, in, in our regular calls, uh, but we're, we're positive on how the full energy strategy is working. Thank you. Our next question comes from Vivian Azar with Cowan. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, I wanted to follow up, please, on uh, Dara's question on price elasticities. Hugh, I appreciated your comment that, that you guys are looking at multiple scenarios and, and clearly do have a lot of levers at your disposal. But I was hoping you could um, dive a, lim- a little bit more, please, on um, Pepsi Beverages North America and specifically how you think about cross-category elasticities across your U.S. beverage business. And as a quick follow-up to that, you know, to the extent that consumers' ability to absorb pricing were to diminish at all, like are there certain categories 
categories you'd be watching more closely as a leading indicator of that? Thank you. Yeah, ha happy to go there a bit. Uh, and as I said, you know, uh, elasticities to me are, are basically a, a portfolio of risks that we, we try to manage rather than kind of zeroing in on a single number. Right? And a portfolio as complex as this, it's, it's hard to have that conversation. What I would tell you, Vivian, that we've seen over the last couple of years is in, in the North America beverage business, uh, category elasticities are relatively low. I, I think the reason for that is, particularly in the multi-bag, multi-serve area, prices are, are pretty remarkably low, right? Whether you're looking at two liters or 12 packs, and if you compare those prices to elsewhere in the world, uh, the prices in this market are are actually quite low. It's it's a tremendous value for consumers. So, um, as as we sort of move into uh, you know a, a world of higher inflation, I do expect you know the the category prices probably will go up. Uh, and at least to date, we we haven't seen much in the way of elasticity. As you might imagine, uh, I can't point to any one. I think we we sort of watch elasticities on on everything. Uh, both the value packages and the premium packages. And uh, the good news is that our, our system's agile enough to react to it. Uh, but right now, the elasticities are, are in line with our expectations, and, and frankly, that's what gives us confidence in the guide for the year. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Great. Thanks. Uh, morning, everyone. Thanks for the question. Um, first, just a clarification on Lorenz's uh, line of questioning around uh, energy. Ramon, can you just comment? You mentioned firing on all cylinders and you're pleased with, with energy. Would you rule out M&A? Uh, so if you could just comment on that, that would be helpful. My, my broader strategic question is really on the business venture with Boston Beer uh, regarding Hard Mountain Dew. Can you just update us on how that partnership has progressed? And importantly, as you spend more time studying the alcohol space, can you provide some updated thoughts on broader ambitions to play, not only as it pertains to new product innovation, but also the potential to distribute non-PepsiCo alcohol products through your distribution? So thanks for that. Yeah, Kevin, now, uh, uh, listen, on M&A, I think we have sufficient brands, right, to play in that space. So I, I, we're not thinking about any M&A in the energy space at this point. Um, now, with regards to alcohol, great, great question, and I think um, it, it's a very interesting development for, um, you know, for the LRB category and for the alcohol category. So uh, clearly consumers are choosing to uh, converge in a way. And, and so we see that space as a statistically very, very incremental. Um, it's sizable and it's profitable. So obviously we would like to participate in a uh, you know in a consistent and structural way for for us, um, obviously we will play uh, from the brand uh, point of view and innovation, licensing our brands to uh, to uh, beer manufacturers that can um, help us with with the manufacturing. We don't have the technologies to to make some of these products, but we we're creating strong partnerships. You know, you, you mentioned one. And, and, and I think we have brands that can extend into those spaces. So that will be one way how we do it. On the other hand, um, I think there is a very interesting play for us to leverage some of our distribution assets to, um, you know, to provide capital distribution and consistent execution across the country. Um, and we're, we are, um, we're working on that solution. Um, we have obviously some market tests uh, undergoing and we will We'll continue to uh, 
roll out those that that potential distribution opportunity, I think it could be an advantage for us um, if we do it well, and um, that's what we're uh, planning to do. So uh, we see us participating from the uh, consumer point of view and also from the infrastructure and execution and granularity of execution point of view as well. Those, those two areas um, could create value for PepsiCo long term. Thank you. Our next question comes from Rob Ottenstein with Evercore. Great. Thank you very much. Um, we focus mostly on the U.S. today. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, how you're viewing your global footprint. Uh, in the past, uh, for instance, the company has, has made acquisitions to expand the offerings in, in Russia and South Africa. Any, any thoughts along those lines in other geographies? Um, any things that is going on on the international side that, that we should be aware of uh, in terms of strategic direction or, or changes of how you're looking at the business? Uh, and then just a quick follow-up on the, uh, the hedging and the commodities. If it'd be, I think it would be helpful if, if, to the extent you can, kind of talk about some of the, uh, the key commodities and what percentage of your cost structure they represent. Thank you. Great. Um, uh, Robert, I'll, I'll talk about the international a bit, and then you yeah. can talk about the commodities, and, and, you know, we're quite limited on what we say about our detail P&L. The, um, the, uh, on international, uh, I've always said and continue to say, this is the, um, by the largest uh, growth opportunity we have in PepsiCo. Um, I think we're, we have a strong uh, market positions in snacks and, and, and pretty good in, in beverages in many markets. Some others a bit more challenging positions, but we're working to strengthen those. Um, um, I think we have a portfolio of brands and we have a portfolio of assets and the teams in place to continue to uh, work on that opportunity. You know, last year we grew a double digit internationally pretty much across the board from Asia to uh, Middle East, Africa, Europe, was very close to double digit full year, if I recall. And then Latin America beat double digit. So, you know, pretty good performance. And uh, if I look at the top 15 markets for the company, we are gaining share in most of those markets, which is, to me, the uh, key indicator of, you know, progress in the system. Obviously, as we scale up those markets, profitability gets much better. And that's the model we're planning to, uh, we're trying to play. For next year, we, you know, we see good signs. Obviously, you know, uh, the geopolitics in some parts of the world are complex. Uh, we hope that, that that will not materialize in anything that will impact our system. And we see inflation uh, going up everywhere. You know, we have the brands and we have, again, the capabilities to price. That's what we're doing in majority of the markets. We feel good about the elasticities, as we discussed earlier, uh, both developing markets and emerging you know, I'm a bit more cautious on emerging markets. You know, I want to see a few more months to understand how the consumer is uh, is, is uh, kind of absorbing all these high costs in multiple parts of their uh, budget, um, uh, household budgets. But uh, we're feeling good about how, how consumers are uh, staying loyal to our brands in spite of, uh, you know, some of our pricing decisions. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's who cover international. Maybe the, uh, yeah. Yeah, so in, in terms of commodities, just a, a couple of facts for you. N- number one, the overall commodity basket is a, oh, about $16, $17 billion. Uh, it's a super broad basket. Um, no, there's not a single commodity that even accounts for 10% of the overall spend. So uh, fairly di- diverse basket. But that said, uh, 
clearly uh, commodities are inflationary pretty well across the board, and, and that's what we're dealing with. So. Thank you. Our last question comes from Chris Carey with Wells Fargo. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much. Just on that last line of uh, questioning there on, on commodities, do you expect pricing to offset commodities just in the context of your uh, comments on, you know, full-year uh, margins? And then, I, you know, on, on North America, there was a comment in the prepared remarks just around, you know, expectations for PB&A margins to expand next year. I think the, um, the the margin drivers of this business have, have obviously evolved with uh, product mix and, and pricing and um I wonder if you could just comment on on how you see the the drivers of that that business go forward in the context of some evolution of the business. Thanks so much. Sure. Uh, in terms of uh, commodities and and the way we approach it from a pricing perspective, obviously we we always try to do what we can in terms of productivity to uh, to manage uh, an inflationary environment. But obviously, when inflation is this high. Uh, we, we need to take some pricing in, in general in developed markets. Uh, we do price through uh, the commodity increases. In developing and emerging, we, we have the variable to consider of uh, affordability and consumer reaction to it. And our history has been it will initially price through two-thirds to three-quarters and then go back and get the rest of it later. Uh, that said, uh, overall, as I mentioned earlier in the call, I, I think the combination of our productivity and our, our pricing should put us in a position where we ought to be able to keep margins pretty well intact for the year. Uh, so, so that's kind of where, where I think we land on that. And in terms of PB&A, uh, we do expect margins to continue to improve as, as we've talked about in the past. Uh, drivers are, are generally the same ones that, that we've talked about. It's, a combination of, of some pricing, some product mix as, as the energy category is more successful for us, uh, some level of productivity as we get returns on the investments we've made in capacity and digitalization and the like, uh, and we continue to, to use global business services as a mechanism to drive G&A productivity as well. So it's a broad bucket of, of actions that over the course of, of several years, uh, we'll get PB&A margins closer and closer to the company average. Great. I think this is the last question. So I um, just would like to say uh, thank you for everyone that joined us today and, and for the confidence you've played uh, in PepsiCo and in all of us with your investment, and we hope that you guys stay safe and, and healthy. So thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's presentation. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day. Speakers, speakers, please stand by.